This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, Carm Capriato, the Service Aftermarket's podcast pioneer. Join me each week for aftermarket insights from my guest host and an industry first, a virtual shop tour. Use the industry's premier podcast as your personal networking resource. And as always, know that you'll learn one thing. The video for this show is on the Aftermarket Weekly page on RemarkableResults.biz or on my YouTube channel. Week 112 of Aftermarket Weekly. Good to have you here. My guest today. Oh, my. Jimmy Alaria, 3A Automotive and Diesel Repair in Phoenix, Arizona. Jimmy, is it hot out there? It's a little toasty this time of year. Yeah. We got the heat and we got the sauna going too because we got the monsoons. <laughs> so you guys get monsoons? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the time of year we start hitting 30, 40% humidity. And you know, those of you back East, that's like, oh, that's nothing. But uh, you mix that in with 105 to 115. It's no longer a dry heat this time of year. Hey, look, you always come here to Aftermarket Weekly each and every week to not only have me and my guests chat about stuff, and we've got a great, great topic here in just a few minutes, but we also get a chance to see my guest shop tour, the virtual shop tour. Can't wait to see it, Jimmy. I know your business has been out there, started by mom and dad, what, 46 some years ago? Yeah, we're 47 years, uh, actually this month. 47 this month. Great business, and you've been a great contributor to the show. In fact, uh, we, we just kind of booked a, another show coming up about a technician survey. I cannot wait to do that episode with you, Jimmy. We are going to Dorman in September. We're going to spend a whole bunch of time there. We're going to do some videos. We're going to do a field trip. And Dorman is such a unique company. We just can't wait to go down there and share it with you all. The aftermarket is filled with companies that make replacement parts, but few invest in design, engineering, manufacturing, programming, and testing like Dorman. They are home to hundreds of mechanical, electrical, and manufacturing engineers spread out all across the globe who ensure every part that is produced meets rigorous industry standards for performance. To do this, Dorman utilizes cutting-edge technology and equipment to test fit, form, and functionality of all their parts. Some of these tests include rapid prototyping 3D models for fitment checks, tolerance testing on both mechanical and electronic components through salt fog and thermal heat and pressure testing. Dorman drives their dedication to their engineering by including their in-house programmers who write and test new software solutions. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman invests in these OE innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. Hey, to learn more about Dorman's engineering process, visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. Hey, Jimmy, do you remember this episode with you and Rachel Spencer? Yes, sir. It was a lot of fun. I learned so much from that. Thank you for doing that. It was episode 753. The survey says, in fact, Jimmy was kind enough to offer a a link to his special website with all, all the really cool things about it. Trying to find great people is such a tough thing to do, but I think we almost put our greatness that we're looking for on such a high pedestal, and we ultimately sometimes say they're unicorns. A fantasy in trying to hire that right person. Have you ever stumbled like that? You know, we we talk about there being a shortage of of good people in the industry, shortage of technicians, shortage of service advisors. It is that we're looking for the unicorns, that we're expecting the unicorns. The ideal shop is looking for the technician that can produce 40 to 60 hours a week, doesn't ever miss work, which is that's obviously ideal 
has $150,000 in tools, has 20 years of experience, doesn't complain, just fixes the car, has zero comebacks. We wonder, you know, why there's uh, there's such a shortage. The truth is, is that I don't believe there is a shortage, especially for the shops that are listening to your your podcast, the ones that are going to the conferences, the ones that are getting educated. I really don't believe that there is. I just think that <laughs> we're looking for too many unicorns. Our expectations are so high. You know, I mean, how many people can do all of that, really, in, in the automotive world? You're right. The top shops listen to this podcast and all the content that we put out here on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Yet, my wish every time I put my head on the pillow every night is that there's one shop owner that's struggling that either finds out about the podcast from a friend who's sharing it, they bump into us on social media, they find me on LinkedIn or YouTube, and they listen and they say, wow, where the hell is this been? I can't believe it, all these great ideas that are coming out. And if it's one a day, that maybe four or five a day, it's another 1,200 shops that come over the chasm of you know other struggles in business. One of them is obviously finding great people. And growing our own. I mean, you're probably having no problem finding great people. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if it's no problem, but you know, you you alluded that we're going to be talking about technician surveys because we have surveyed the technicians in our area, and we know what they are looking for, and we know where they're at on social media. It has made it a lot easier to communicate with them. In April, for example, we hired two A technicians and one B technician within a two-week period. And one was because we lost somebody, but two was because we were, were you know, getting into our summer season. We knew that we were going we to go with six technicians. I will argue all day long that for the top shops, there's not a shortage of technicians. There's a shortage of communication to the technicians that we're looking for. And they don't all have to be unicorns. They don't all have to be the perfect technician. Tracy told me, and again, you worked with Tracy on doing the virtual tour, that you have this incredible chart. Is it in your employee break room? Yeah. And what that does organizationally, it's called an organizing board. It's for organizing all the functions of the business. In our survey, one of the things that we found is that technicians want to work for an organized shop. Key point. They, they, they don't want the chaos. And I'm not saying that a shop that doesn't have an organizing board does, it has chaos, but as you expand, there's more moving pieces and you have to have the structure to know who does what and when. Who's the senior? Who's the junior? Who's the manager? Who's making decisions on service writing? Who's making decisions on production? Who's making decisions on dispatching? When you have a part problem, who does that? Maybe you've got three technicians and you got one service writer. Somebody who's doing... 100,000 or more with that setup, I would say you've got a unicorn, at least one in that shop because they're doing everything. That service writer's ordering parts, they're checking customers in and out, they're scheduling. Um, a lot of times they're doing some preliminary diagnosis before the car even goes back to the technicians. They're the, the owner's replacement or it's the owner. You're right. To the point, everything goes back to that one person. There's got to be a point though where the jam log gets so bad that the promise times the level of customer service gets a little weak where you have to actually stop for a moment, maybe take your finger out of the leaking dike and decide to make a move and to hire or change responsibilities. That's a great point. And, and actually, a few years ago was I had just finished purchasing the business from my family and we were doing well. Well, all of a sudden I had my unicorn come in and said he was quitting and he was uh, giving me two-week notice. 
to start his own uh, handyman business. He was getting out of the industry. I've been there. There's this, this monumental thing going on in your life and you stop and you say, what could go wrong? We had just hired a new service advisor and, and he is a still a friend of mine. He doesn't work with us anymore, but he's a, he's a quadriplegic, amazing, amazing guy. He owned a shop actually back in your neck of the woods and just in Poughkeepsie, uh, New York. And he moved out to Arizona. So limited on what he could do. He wasn't going to manage the shop, but him and I were sitting there and I'm going, oh my gosh, I haven't, I hadn't at that point hadn't run the shop in many years and I hadn't even used the digital inspection. And what the problem was, was, you know, here I am, I got a new employee that's been with me two weeks. The shop's busy and I'm up front going, how am I going to get all this done? Inspections are coming in and I'm trying to do estimates and the phone's ringing and somebody walks in the front door and I go, there's no reason this business is not expanding. I'm, I'm expecting too much from too few people. And that was when I wrote the hat up for the parts manager because what I told Dean at the time, I said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to handle all the incoming phone calls and every customer that walks in the door. What I want you to do is when the digital inspections come in, go through them, estimate everything, tell me when they're done, I'll call the customers and sell the work. So we did that first day that we were together. It was about 10 a.m. I'm just running with what little hair I have on fire. And uh, I turned around to him and I said, all right, what do you got for me to sell? It's about 10 a.m. And he goes, oh, we're good. I just, I, I sold this, this, and this. And it was like, the light went off in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at what he could do without the distractions of the phones ringing, the customers coming in you know, dispatching the work, all the stuff that we expect the unicorn to do. You had the estimator role going. Our parts manager does the estimator. And that's exactly what we, we found out when we did an episode on estimating, that they're a universal position. Yeah. And in some shops, I've seen that they, they'll actually, you know, ha handle some overflow on the service writing. But, you know, that person doesn't have to be the face of the company kind of personality, that bright, cheery person that knows how to talk to customers. They don't have to be. We could train them to be that person. But I found that that position is a lot easier to replace than somebody that I would want as a service advisor. When we get a chance to see this organizing board, you call it, that's basically the go-to chart. I mean, if you have a question or a concern, that organizing board is going to show that to us? It shows every function. So if you're looking at a quality control issue, for example... Somebody walks in the front door and you've got a receptionist or a customer service rep. That's an actual function. Most shops um, have a service advisor wearing that function, that hat. But if you looked at it, they come in, they talk to the receptionists. Receptionist uh, uh, takes the information. It's a comeback. Oh, okay. Well, we're not in a sales cycle at that point. We're in a quality control issue. Well, who's in charge of that? By having the organizing board, you know exactly who's in charge of that and where to dispatch that job. Hey, this is interesting. I can't wait to get into this. I, I thank you for the support on uh, previous podcasts and this one that we're going to do on technician service. I can't wait to get to that. Some of the latest episodes we have going is your bathroom like the Ritz Carlton. How about that for a great episode? Again, Rachel Spencer was there uh, along with Dale Warmoth. Matt Fonzolo's episode over romanticizing the uh, diagnostic process with uh, Scanner Danner and, and Hunt Demers, the value pricing with uh, Rob, Rob Nixon. All incredibly great episodes from the Aftermarket Radio Network. Uh, are we ready for uh, this virtual tour of your place? I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. Let's do it. Yeah, I gave a quick glimpse of our bathroom after watching that show with Rachel. There's some pretty incredible bathrooms in this industry, that's for sure. <laughs> I know, I know. 
Yeah, so this is the front of our building, and uh, that's everybody always says something about our sign. It was built by a indie car fabricator friend of mine. I told Tracy, I said it's good for about 200 miles an hour, so it's built <laughs> really well. Where we're at, we're in a very commercial area, so um, having something aesthetic like that really does stand out. Um, yeah, that's looking down uh, south into the shop. Why 3A? Is it the name of the road that you're on? It was actually my last name is Aluria, and it was my dad. My grandpa and my dad has a twin brother, John. Ah. I just found this out a few weeks ago that it was the accountant that they had at the time that came up with the idea. And he said, why don't we call it 3A? So that's where it came from. Yeah, that's a banner. We're very involved in the community. Operation Blue Ribbon really supports the police. And so we do a lot of stuff with the local police department. Um, that was up from a, an event that we had. Nice. Sunny Slope is our area. Yeah, there's the night drop. Becoming more and more used today as technology allows us. Everything that I'm seeing is signage. It tells me what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. I mean, just walking in the place, uh, you know, parts go here, shop hours here, key drop here, thank the community there. Just great stuff. We try, but, you know, with especially with the, the parts people, a lot of times they don't see the signs and they got to direct them. But it is, it does help. It helps with customers. It helps the, the traffic, people where nowhere to go. Many waiters today? Not many at all. Uh, we have a pretty small waiting room. At times we've had more than others, but, um, you know, with the, the ride shares and stuff like that, we try and get them out of there. There's a couple of awards that we've won from the community. It's my wife. One was for my wife and one was my dad. Pretty basic stuff in there. Clean. Coffee, water, usually have on the, on the TV screen, we usually have something playing, educating them about the, the car a little bit. And then the, the, we use the nap one. I've got to ask about the sign on the front of the refrigerator. What does it say? It's just complimentary water. I have this little, you know, this thorn in my, in my hoof over that, where I see a lot of refrigerators, even glassed fronts. And it's stocked full of sodas and water, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no sign that says complimentary. So I ask the shop owner, does any customer come up to you and say, how much is the water or the soda? You should never have them ask that. Never. Good point. I, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, it's true. You know, because here I'm sitting as a customer, thirsty as all get out. I don't want to embarrass myself. Do I throw a dollar somewhere? What do I do here? Just tell them to have some. Very good. All right. So I did a quick glimpse into our, our restroom just to show that it is clean, and uh, but I wasn't going to try and brag on uh, on it compared to others. I did show Tracy that we have the hook for the purse. That was uh, from a survey that we had done. You see in auto repair shop reviews online, you always see somebody saying something, their bathroom was clean. And it really is. It was a great topic that you did a couple of weeks ago with Rachel. It is such a topic in our industry, right? It's such a representation of the business. Well, it is so tight and compact. I can't believe how tight everybody is there. Yeah, we're actually in the process of doing plans for a remodel on that whole space. Um, it's an old building. That right there is a, uh, a map of kind of the circumference around our shop. And so we have little magnets that will that are numbered and it shows where somebody's at. We used it a lot more when we did a lot more shuttling around. Now we use Uber and Lyft quite a bit. It does show us where somebody's at for coordination of getting people back to their cars or out to their house is a lot easier that way. That's our uh, communication center. So anything that is, you know, like paper, the technicians, any staff knows to come and check that box at least once a day. Um, outgoing mail um, or anything that needs to go to me. I'm not in the shop that much. So any, anything that needs to come to me goes there. I go there when I come in. 
It's my wife's office back there. Here's the graphs. We manage everything in our shop statistically. The industry has done a really good job of getting people to watch KPIs. But the argument on that is that when you're just looking at a number, it doesn't tell a story. The important thing of numbers are, you know, comes in trends. And when you see trends happening, then you can kind of see what's going on. So, you know, one week is not going to tell you a story, but one month or six weeks or several months is going to tell a bigger story. And by looking at trends on those graphs, we can predict what's going on. Like I can adjust those graphs to go back a year or two years. You know, we talk about like, oh, when do you do your most of your marketing? Well, six to eight weeks before we see a trend throughout the year. But August, we always see stuff go down. We're cranking our marketing up July because August is when school starts up back up out here. Those are technician hours. We graph all the technicians' hours so that we can see where they're at. We can see trends. We can see if things are going up or things are going down. And it's not used for punishment. It's used to help them. If a technician's hours are up, we want to pat them on the back and say, very well done. And then really look and see what kind of jobs are we giving them at this time? Like, what is the successful actions that they're doing and try and keep those in place? You know, again, going back to the example of the unicorn, I've got a 26 year old technician in our shop. He could do 50 to 60 hours a week every week. He's averaging well over 40. A few weeks ago, it was him and another guy that were an older guy that was hired at the same time. And we had a bay open up where they could have their own bay, right? At that time, they were two guys were sharing a bay. A double door bay. Uh, we we're like, okay, well, there's a bay open. Who are you going to move in there? I said, Who, who's got the better stats? And it was Anthony. And he's the young guy. We offered it to him. And he was like, his eyes got really big, like he was doing something wrong because he was going to take the bay away from the senior technician. It's like, I don't care how old he is. It's all about production. And uh, he's been there since. And, you know, because again, you're investing where you're going to get more return. And, and I know if I give that guy more space, he's going to give us more hours. Are those printed weekly? Yep. Every week. We watch those every single week. Some of them you can actually do daily. Like technician hours would be one. We don't do it. But technician hours or daily sales with the service advisors would be something you'd want to do daily because then you see what they've done. Look at this, a workflow chart. Wow. Everybody who you know has their hat right up, meaning their, all their job description and their what KPI we're watching of theirs has this in their pack. It allows the flow of the shop to occur without changing our pattern. Like we have a system that works. We know that, you know, if we follow this pattern, we're not going to get ourselves into trouble with customers and we're not going to get ourselves into trouble with overpromising uh, because, you know, it goes through a certain flow pattern and everybody knows what that is. And, you know, like whenever we hire a service advisor, you know, we've got to really drill this in on them with the customers. It's like, we don't want to diagnose anything over the phone. We don't want to diagnose anything at the counter. We have a process. So, you follow this and it's like, yeah, we check them in, we get all the information and then it's dispatched to the technician by the service manager who then has the technician do the inspection based on what it came in for, safety related issues, reliability, maintenance and appearance and, and in that order. Now, when we call a customer, and we give them a diagnosis, we're giving them a full picture of everything. We're not just you know shooting off the cuff and then having an upset customer because we don't have all the data that we need to, to actually educate them properly. This is sure an insurance policy that things go more right than wrong. That's right. And it takes some drilling, you know, so when people aren't used to it, you know, it takes some drilling in on getting the process known and followed every single time. And quite honestly, I think most shop owners would agree with this. Most of the time we get ourselves into trouble is we had some 
customer who came in, had an emergency, and we bypassed our normal procedures, you know, and we did something to help somebody out or whatever that violated our procedures, then all of a sudden, now we're in trouble. I see John Long is saying, can we get a copy of your flowchart? But in my mind, if you have a process designed and laid out, all you're doing is you're taking that and you're putting the the arrows and the squares and the circles around that, right? That's all you're doing. But at the same time, when we go upstairs and we show the organizing chart, I'll show you like what actually every one of those points that's on that flowchart lands someplace on the organizing board. We carry a very limited inventory. I mean, we're we're in North Central Phoenix. We have parts houses everywhere. I mean, we you know wiper blades and oil filters and bulbs and that kind of thing we carry. But the majority of you know, like hoses, brake pads, anything like that, we we haven't carried for many many years. We use this as our uh, break room, uh, conference room. You know, a little kitchenette area up there. That's the organizing board right there. Give us an overview of the of the colors. So if you took that chart and you actually took it off the wall. And you put it in into a, a circle and it was spiraling upward. That's what it's actually doing. And so and I'll explain that. Okay, I see it. There's seven divisions there. Okay, the first division on the left is actually division seven. Um, it's the creation division. It's where the owner made the decision to start the business, came up with a plan. It's where we do our plans. And the manager works out of that division as well. All the strategic planning and, and where we're going is done from that division. The statistic of that division is profitability. It's viability. So you have the decision to put the business there. The second one is communication. That's your human resources. The reception's actually there. It's HR. In that division is where we do the statistics that we're downstairs. So you do inspections from that division as well. But that's where HR, hiring and all that stuff, hatting, somebody comes on board, we get their hat, is done from, from that position. Then we go to the green division is marketing and sales because those are related. Um, the service advisor works out of that division along with our marketing personnel. All sales. So that division right there is managed by gross profit and income. And then the pink division there is the accounting or finance division. And that's just accounting for everything that's coming in and going out. Usually the bookkeeper, CFO is more an executive, but um, they're operating uh, a bookkeeper that runs that division. And then, you know, the cashiers or the service advisors are also doing a job. They're taking the money. So if you looked at that right there, you've got the decision to put the business there. You hire some people, you sell them work, you get in our business. Most of the time we don't get paid up front. We get deposits, but um, you get a commitment for the money. Then you have the purple division there. That's the production division. And that's where all the estimating is done. That's an interesting argument. Where's the estimating done? Is it a service advisor function or is it a production function? So our parts manager is actually in that division under the service manager um, because the technicians are, are delivering that information there. They're acquiring the parts, getting the estimate put together, and then it goes back to the service advisor. So the technicians are in that division and their job is to correctly and efficiently repair a vehicle in a timely manner. Then it goes to the gold division there. That is the quality control. There's a couple aspects of it. Number one, we're checking the car out before it leaves. And I know you've done a lot of talks about that. If you don't have that division in your business, then who's doing it for you? It's the customer. Mentor of mine, the original founder of uh, Management Success was uh, Mike Lee. And he used to say, good customers don't complain. They just don't come back. That's right. And you don't want your customers doing that. So we checked the cars there. But also the example at the beginning was customer comes in and they've got a complaint about work that we just did. Where does it go? 
And they would go to that division so that somebody who's in charge of the quality control can actually look it over and make sure that the issue is corrected. Was it a part failure? Was it a technician error? What was it? So this looks like a large, uh, if you will, document that you actually get printed. Yeah. And like I said, we have a digital version of that coming out, which if you pushed on, like for the service advisors, you've got the service advisor um, hat within that, right? So below each of those positions, you've got all the functions. And obviously, when you do a full write-up, a job description is a lot more detailed than what's on this chart. But there is nothing in the shop that happens without that. After the quality control uh, check, you've got public relations. And that's where you're delivering the product to the customer. You know, I see a lot of your listeners and the people you've had on, you know, give the cookies away. Well, that's a public relations function. Or you give them a bottle of water, you give them something. That's a public relations function. And if you've done a good job, you get reviews and then the cycle happens again. You go back through the person refers somebody, they come in, they get checked in, the service advisor sells them the work, and then you know, and that's why you have an upward spiral of that thing working. Over the organization, you have division heads each over each division, then you have executives. And depending on the size of the shop, you might have, you know, more people or less people, but every business should have these executives there. Carm, that's where I see shops in this industry are hitting a ceiling for expansion. We've got unicorns running the shops and they get us to a certain level. Maybe it's a million, maybe it's two million. But to hit that next level, the three, four, five million dollar shop that's really banging it out. And obviously space is a concern. You've got to have the space to grow to a certain level. But with my shop, I feel we have the potential to hit four to five million dollars with the space that we currently have. To me, that is an organizational issue. And as we've expanded, you know, we've added executives to run people. You know, small organizations are made up of individuals, unicorns. Large organizations are made up of groups, teams. And, you know, again, when you're going to have teams of people together, you got to have leaders running and organizing and dispatching and coordinating. So that's what that chart does. This is the first time I've ever come across something this detailed that is shared so openly uh, with your team. If I came to your place, trust me, I would spend four hours just studying that. I find that fascinating. I'm glad it really helps produce such a great business. And that's a management system that we use. You know, a lot of shop owners have learned about that over the years. And how much organization do you want to put in? And that equates to revenue growth, profits, and freedom for the ownership and expansion. How do you open up a successful second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth location? You've got to be organized. And the guys that are profitably doing that, they've got their systems in place and they've got some sort of organization. So true. That's an old guillotine cutter. Back in uh, when the economy crashed in 08, I bought that. At the time, I couldn't afford to have a print house do all my marketing anymore. So I leased a printer. And uh, we bought that guillotine cutter and I started doing uh, five and a half by eight postcards. So we bought that old thing. I showed a little bit. I don't know if I opened the door or not. I have uh, my dad's old books. There's one of them right there. The old manuals. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, yeah. Back in the back, we've got a little a library of them. My dad's like, don't throw those away. Those are valuable. And sure as heck, man, they, you never know when you're going to need one of those. We recently did a show, Jimmy, on uh, ABC ratings. Where did they come from and, and why do we still have them and what do they really mean? And I actually am getting ready to write an article about that. I was, I was kind of moved by it. And I think whatever changes we make in our industry has to be a grassroots thing as to how we define skill levels, if you will, and competencies in our industry. And one of the guys brought up the old magazine. Well, where did these ratings come from? 
Yeah, and some, some stuff is just not available online. So it's good to have those. Uh, so, so that's a service manager's desk. Now, our service manager um, was a technician for us at once. He was our diesel tech, um, still does a lot of the diesel diag from above. He dispatches the work and he runs the technicians and he runs quality control. So he's not a service advisor. He is over production and quality control. We're kind of coming around. That's the parts manager. And then going out into the shop, there's our returns area. And there's our parts acceptance area. <laughs> Tracy saw the, all the watermelons we had that day. One of our customers every year, he, he imports them from Mexico. And he has a big watermelon stand this time of year. And he always brings everybody here a watermelon. So that's he brought him in that morning. Yeah. Uh, there's one of our 12,000-pound uh, lifts. We do a lot of diesel work, so we've got three 12,000-pound lifts in the shop. How many parking spots out there? I, I would say there's 20. How many bays altogether, Jimmy? We have nine functional indoors, and we have two outdoors bays that where our alignment uh, rack is at, which is somewhat enclosed. There's our Diag Center. Um, so we have our OE scan tools, our Pico Scope, you know, all the laptops and everything is uh, operating out of there. Um, and that rolls around. So anybody can use that. That's been a, a nice asset for the shop and building that out. We have a 65-inch monitor out there that we do. Um, you know, going back to the survey, we, one of the things that technicians really want is they want the training, but they don't want to do online training on their own. They really want the live training and they want mentorships. So we hired a mentor that we are on with every other Wednesday that technicians get on with him. We have a camera that hooks up to that and then he does training with them so they can do it on the car or uh, whatever he's doing, like classroom kind of training. Swamp coolers are in Phoenix with my shop, air conditioning. I would have to have a little bit different setup to do that. We do swamp coolers and everybody's got their own space cooler. There's that, what I call, because I'm a hockey guy, uh, the Zamboni. Yeah, nice. What a great investment that is, man. What a great investment. Next time I will, I will tell you, I will buy the battery-operated one. It's about twice the cost. But that one was about 1800 bucks. The guys love it. They use it for spills. They use it to clean up the shop. It's what a great investment. My shop backs up to a canal. So I'm trying to buy that property next to me. The guy's not ready to sell yet. I, I desperately need that one and the one next to it. But that's our back lot. Um, those are all customer cars back there. There's our alignment bay. That door behind there is the Hunter Hawkeye alignment machine. It just wasn't open that day, that morning yet. It's protected. Yeah. And there's a swamp. There's a space cooler in there. So if the guys do have to work out. Yeah, we were doing a big job on a Nissan Murano. The engine, everything was out of it. Had to do heads on that. I rarely see a single posting ground anymore. Yeah. And we check them often to make sure they're not leaking. And this is my dad's bay. My dad and I own this building together and I'm gonna I'm in the process of buying him out of this piece of the property because we need it for expansion. They had a sign made for him. It's called Jim's World. I love it. So that was his Volkswagen thing and my Jeep and I have a question, uh, Jimmy. Uh, actually, it's probably for Tracy. So Tracy, when I retire, are you gonna make me kind of a little studio somewhere so that I could go and play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she says my carb cave's already set up, Dad. You don't need anything else. <laughs> <laughs> See, my dad doesn't have that at home yet. He's in the process of building his uh, his Jim's world at home. But until then, he, he puts on a uniform every day. He loves being at the shop. I mean, he obviously built the company. I, I, I take no credit for building it. What a great place, Jimmy. Great tour. Uh, and you're so willing to share, you know, what's going on as far as the leadership and, and managing your company and, and just to see all the great stuff that you have and how you've got it all laid out. And think about the number of peoples that know and hear 
about how the company runs and how the organizational chart works, or you call it organizing board works. Organizing board, that's right. There is no question as to who has responsibility for the growth, the profitability, the sales, the function, the the processes and the systems. I can't think of any place that I ever worked after I sold my business that ever put that thing so up front and in front of people. People want to produce, right? And the, the challenge in, in business is that, you, especially when you get into administrative functions, you know, how does somebody know that they're actually producing their product to help the shop reach its goals? Yeah. You know, we fix cars and we want happy customers, but everybody's got to have something that you can measure that shows that they're actually producing something that's helping us deliver that product. Technicians is easy with build hours. Sales is easy with sales and, you know, profitability and things like that. But you get into administrative functions, you know, like, like our customer service rep, one of her statistics, you know, is the, the amount of outflow. And we measure that. We measure it by phone calls, emails, and text messages. And you can see it in the appointment set by the outflow. It gives everybody a role in the bigger picture of what we're, we're producing and, and it keeps everybody accountable. One of the things that I see fascinating in your organizing board is who does what and when. Is that their job? Are they supposed to be doing that? Why did this thing fail? And being able to go back and see where the responsibility lies not only puts the person on call for what they owe their team mates, but their teammates would realize that there may be an opportunity for Jimmy to step up here and figure out what failed us. Is it a process? Is, is it a system? Was it somebody was supposed to do something? Was it a doing thing that didn't happen? You don't want to sit behind not knowing. It doesn't bring good culture when you're working a million things in your mind saying, who did this? Why did it happen? You start making up stories. You're making movies that aren't true in your mind because you really don't know. The organizing board serves it up. I love it. It gives ownership, but you know, championship teams are made up of individuals who take personal responsibility for the success of the team. And our shops are no different. You know, I mean, it, example, you know, is we were having a situation where, you know, we had an overheat issue and there was a problem because we fixed something before we could fix the overheat issue. There was a problem that wasn't addressed. And when we went back to who was in charge of that area and ordering who was doing what, it went right to the service manager. You know, we were going, okay, well, what's the policy on overheats? And it was simple this, block check and pressure checks every time. And that wasn't done. He could look at it and go, I can take responsibility for that. And it showed all the technicians that he owned up to what was supposed to be done on that. And um, it brings accountability and, and trust within the organization. We don't have the perfect shop. We're definitely growing and, um, and building a culture that I think uh, the people that are part of it are proud of. No doubt you are striving for all kinds of excellence. Jimmy uh, Aloria, 3A Automotive and Diesel Repair, Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.